Well, good morning, and good to see everybody. And man, that's a hard act to follow right there. Judd, I'm uh, so glad. I remember that day uh, that Rhonda was here and, uh, and asked, uh, said they were looking for someone. And what a blessing to be able to find your place or your calling and uh, a ministry that God's pre- prepared for you in such a rewarding place. And I'm sure a heartbreaking place at times as well. But uh, so wonderful and so great that we can be a part of that by helping to uh, support uh, Assurance. Guys, I'm glad you're here today. We're kind of going in a different direction than we have been uh, for a few weeks here. We're going to be talking about prayer for a couple of weeks and uh, kind of move us into the Easter season. I don't know if you ever heard of him, but uh, there was a man named George Mueller who was a man of prayer, uh, to say the least. He lived in England in the 1800s, and he claimed to have had 50,000 specific prayers answered in his lifetime, 50,000 that he could actually document. That's amazing. George Mueller raised $2.6 million through faithful prayer. He established several different orphanages in five locations. And he is legendary in his faith and his hope and his belief in prayer. Maybe the best known story about George Mueller is when he was caring for about 300 orphans and they had no food for breakfast. They went to bread that night with no food for the next morning. They didn't know what they were going to do. And so they woke up and uh, they got all the kids settled in the uh, eating area, the cafeteria there. And uh, they, they got together and George prayed to God and thanked God for the breakfast that they were going to eat, knowing they didn't have any food in the house. Uh, that's a, he had a, a prayer of faith, right? He said that they were praying and he ended his prayer and there was a knock at the door and the local baker was standing there. And he said, I don't know why, but sometime in the night, God woke me up and said, I want you to make a lot more bread than you normally make and I want you to take it to the orphanage. And so George said, thank you for the bread. He knew it was coming, just didn't know when or how. And he brought it in, took it inside for the children. Another knock at the door. He went out, opened the door, and it was the local milkman. And he said, you know, I I was driving by, a wheel on my cart broke down right outside the door. I'm afraid if I leave the cart and the milk to go get what I need to fix it, somebody will steal it. So I want you to have this for the kids. And so breakfast was provided. And he said he saw many other miracles happen like that. Mueller went on to to publish uh, 64,000 copies of the entire Bible, 85,000 copies of the New Testament alone, 29 million copies of religious books, and supported 150 missionaries. He did all those things. He did it all with resources provided solely by prayer. Now, what was the secret of this man? George Mueller was a very ordinary man. He was just uh, not even a a clergy, didn't claim to be or anything else. How did he do that? He said, well, there were three reasons. First of all, he did not pray for things to exalt or glorify himself. He did not pray for himself. He prayed instead. uh, He said the purpose of his life was to display the glory of God. He wanted people to witness how his prayers were being answered. And that's why he was bold enough to document his prayers, how many prayers were answered, what they were. And he wanted people to acknowledge God's existence, God's help, God's providence, and to come to love and believe in him. Secondly, he did not rely on any fundraising plan or ask anyone for help. He didn't pray and then ask somebody to support him. He just prayed, which is pretty amazing. He knew the only, that only God could help provide for him. He knew that that man, you know, might be a tool of God, but he put all of his faith in God alone, not in people. And thirdly, Mueller discover, uh, excuse me, discerned whether his prayers were pleasing to the Lord. 
He really wanted to make sure that he was praying the Lord's will. Whether anything was difficult, whether it was seemingly impossible, it really wasn't important to him. In fact, he intentionally took on things that seemed to be difficult and impossible and believed that God would accomplish what God wanted to get done. And because of his faith, he experienced some amazing works of God. George Mueller did not start his ministry or establish these orphanages in order to glorify his name or to even be spoken about a hundred years later, or even to fulfill his own personal desire, but to display the power of God. You know, I don't know about you, but I'm kind of inspired by a man like George Mueller who could do these sort of things that we would just beyond our comprehension, millions of copies of the Bible and, and, and you know, and, and books and, and all this work for orphans. Well, I want to challenge you today. I want to talk about prayer, and I want to challenge you to a vision that God's kind of put upon our church, and that is to pray for Woodford. And we talked about this last week, if you were here, that our goal is to pray for every home, pray specifically for every home in Versailles, not a mass prayer, God bless every home in Versailles, but we want to ask God to, um, we want to pray for every home and ask God to bless this home ask God to bless this family, whatever they may be going through. We won't know specifically in every home, but also that would lead the person to salvation as well. And we want to leave a door hanger for additional prayer and opportunities for the people to reach out. Now, that's a big vision. It really is. And I, I, sometimes I drive around town and I'm thinking, man, we may have bitten off more we can chew because there's apartments and you know subdivisions still going up and everything else. So I want you to know it is a big vision but you know what? First of all, we have to believe that God can really do it because if we're like, yeah, I don't know if we can do it. I don't know if God can, you know, really get into each home out there. We're, we're not going to be very motivated until we understand the really the power of God. And you don't have to be a, a George Mueller to see answered prayer. You just have to believe and then be willing to pray. See, prayer is a spiritual discipline <clears throat> that we have to commit to, and we have to trust that God will hear us and that God will reply. We have to believe that. There is no, you know, when you send a text message or something or even an email, you might get a response message read or delivered. You know, your phone might, some of you will, will say that. There is nothing like that with prayer. Amen. You don't get like God got it. He received it. He read it, you know. And then those little bubbles, he's answering back. We don't get it like that, do we? It'd be nice. It just doesn't work like that. And oftentimes, we don't see the immediate answer to our prayers. So I believe that prayer is definitely a matter of faith. In fact, prayer is one of the clearest ways, I believe, that you demonstrate your faith in God's Word and that you trust in His will. I don't know if you ever thought about that or not, how, how prayer really reveals your faith. In fact, the Bible says in Hebrews 11 that faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. We are confident enough that we will pray to a God that we can't see visibly and a God uh, that, um, that we know is there, but, but we can't prove anything about that. And we'll ask him to change things that seem to be unlikely or maybe even seem to be impossible. And we literally expect him to respond. I mean, that is faith when you think about it. It takes a lot of faith. But the Bible says that when we demonstrate our faith, that we're going to be rewarded with the answer to our prayers. You know, when I look at Jesus, I see that prayer was so, uh, so much a part of his life. Even though he was God, you would think, well, he kind of, he was God. He wouldn't have to pray. 
And, you know, he wouldn't even need that. But the reality is he set the example. He modeled prayer for us. He slipped off to pray. Sometime he, he would spend the entire night in prayer. And he even taught us to pray. Taught us to pray. This is what it, uh, what it says. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us in, not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. You know, we call this the Lord's Prayer or the model prayer. And my good friend James Keogh right here says, this prayer's got it all, you know. Uh, this prayer is complete. It's, it's got everything. And why wouldn't it? Because Jesus gave it to us. But it has, it has praise and petition and thankfulness and forgiveness and protection. But you also notice that when Jesus gave it to them, he gave it in response to their request. What did they say? They said, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. And the reason is because that prayer doesn't come natural to us. It really doesn't. It's something that we have to learn and grow to pray. Now, let me hurry to say there is no wrong way to pray. So I don't want you to feel like, wow, I'm just, you know, I don't know how to pray and I don't know the right words to say. There's no wrong way to pray as long as we do it in the right frame of mind and honoring to God. So I'm not saying that any prayer and the way you pray is wrong, but we do need to learn and grow in our prayer life and in our commitment to prayer, in our faith and believing that prayer really does make a difference. And you, in fact, get more confidence, or you might even say you get better at prayer by practicing that. And in the process, you also are going to get more confidence as you see God answer your prayers as well. Now, let me just say this too. Out of experience, I would say that that we may never, we're not always going to get prayer right. We're not always going to pray for the right things. We really aren't. You know, man doesn't know the mind of God. And I'm confident that sometimes when I ask God for something, he's like, really? You know, you think that would be the best thing? And he's got a better plan. So we don't always get it right. We don't always know the mind of God. Sometimes we're going to ask for the wrong things that aren't really what God wants for us. But I love what someone said, that prayer is not about trying to get God to do our will on earth, but rather us attempting to do God's will on earth. We want to do God's will. We're not trying to convince God to do something for us, but instead we want to do God's will. We want to be a part of that. Did you notice the phrase that I read a few moments ago from the model of the Lord's Prayer? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, prayer needs to come from our hearts, but it must also be in accordance with God's will and seeking God's kingdom first. And you know, that, that's a great guideline. That's an, a really good filter, and it keeps us from going too far off the rails because, you know, we start thinking about, well, this God can do anything. He can move mountains. He can do all this. Why? He could probably do this for me, and this is what I think is best. And before you know it, we're out there praying for things that we don't have any idea that God even cares about. Many of the things that we might want as humans have nothing to do with God's kingdom, and they have nothing to do with God's will for our life as well. But whenever we use this guideline of seeking God's kingdom first, then we can realize and experience God's protection and also God's provision. In other words, if we're praying for God's will to be done, whatever the situation is, we are much more likely to see the answer come. Because God has a will and he has the power to enforce and create and, and make that will happen. Prayer is also something that we ought to be doing constantly. Sometimes we pray one time 
And then we feel like, well, that should seal it. But, but Jesus taught that we should be persistent in our prayers. And a little bit later on in 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul says that we should pray continually. Pray continually. Now, how do we, how do, we do that? How do we uh, pray constantly or continually? Well, we obviously need times of focused prayer. And, and we talk a lot about uh, we need to have a time and a place. I hope that you have in your home somewhere a time that you set aside and a place that you pray because it's important to kind of designate that time and place in order to keep it uh, consistent and, and regular. But we also need to be in constant contact and communication with God throughout the day, kind of like an ongoing conversation. Let me give you an example of this. A lot of us have people who text, we text them and they text us on an ongoing basis throughout the day. Some of you got people, it might be family, sibling, friend, coworker, a spouse, you have an ongoing text conversation. So you're just constantly going back and forth because you don't always have time to answer that and respond, right? But you do respond eventually. Contrast, that's really what God wants with us, I think. God wants that ongoing, consistent interaction and conversation with Him. Now contrast that, if you will, with the people in your, in your life that we all have who seem to seldom check their text. You're not one of those people, I hope that you don't respond to other people's text. Seriously, right? Some of you are. I know you are. I know people in my life, you know, you don't check it, you don't respond to your text. That drives me crazy, doesn't it, you? I'm not, I think I've gotten off track here, suddenly on a soapbox here. But, but we, well, you know what, we wonder, you know what, are they, did they get it? Did, you know, did they respond? They really want to be in contact with us. I think that may be how God feels sometimes. And you know, he speaks to us through his word and, and he gets nothing back. And he's like, well, you know, did they get it? Did they actually understand that? When our prayer life is erratic and inconsistent, I wonder if God might wonder, where are you at and what are you doing? Did you even read it? Did you get it? Do you hear from me at all? So I think prayer should be an ongoing, consistent conversation with God. See, for the believer, prayer, I believe, is a strategy for life. It really is a strategy that we have to plan for. Not only do we align ourselves with God through prayer, we're seeking God's will for everything in our life, so we ought to pray in that way and ask His kingdom to come, but we also find our purpose and meaning in prayer. We discover, we find ourselves in prayer. Let me explain that. James chapter 5 says, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. You may say, well, I don't consider myself to be that righteous. Well, if you are a believer, hopefully you are growing and maturing in your righteousness. So let's put you there. Your prayer life is powerful and effective and can be more so. So God has equipped and empowered us to be members of his body, to go and accomplish his purpose. So you are on a mission for God. He has recruited you. You agreed as a believer. You said, yes, I'm in. I'm in the army. I'm, I'm on, on board for you. I'm on your mission. So God has equipped you. He's empowered you to accomplish his purpose in life, to be a worker in the kingdom, to be his representative. The Bible says that you are his ambassador. So a large part, I think, of prayer uh, is part of our mission that we are trying to discover and bring God's will, God's kingdom to earth and seek and follow his will and find what our place is in that. 
So the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And in fact, the Bible goes on and talks about some people. James here talks about a, a good example, the example of Elijah in the Old Testament here. He said, Elijah prayed that it would not rain in his day. Why? Because the people of that day were torn between believing and trusting in God and, and believing in a false God. His name was Baal. And he was promoted by the evil king Ahab of his day. And so Elijah wanted the people to, to praise God and pray to God, the true God. And so he asked God, how about we just show them your power? How about we just shut off the rain for three and a half years? Now, that's a long time for a drought. That would definitely get people's attention, and it did. But God listened to him, and it didn't rain for three and a half years. And then you probably know the story that Elijah said, now let's show God, let's show the people your power, let it rain. And it poured, and God blessed them in that way. So it was proof, and Elijah was on board. You know, he was like praying to get God's will to happen to prove who God was. And I think sometimes maybe God's called us for that, to be his representatives that are out there proving God and displaying God. You know, George Mueller said that's what he wanted his life to be, to be a way to see God, people to see God and believe and come to, to trust in God. So our prayers really do make a difference. They really do make a difference. It would be nice sometime if we saw that more. And sometime I think we pray and then we go on with life and we don't remember what God has really done, but, but God listens to our prayers. Again, in the Old Testament, in Exodus chapter 32, Moses was up on the mountain getting the Ten Commandments. Maybe you remember this. And while he was gone, the people went rogue. They made a golden calf to worship God. Uh, his brother Aaron let it, let it all get away from him and blew it. And so uh, when Moses came down and he saw this, he was crushed. And God told Moses, I'm going to destroy the people. I'm going to kill everyone, and I'm going to start over with you and, and have my people again. But Moses intervened through prayer. Remember that? And he said, God, far be it from me to tell you what to do. But if you do this, all the other people in the, uh, the other countries, they're going to believe that you failed the people. And he intervened for the, people, uh, for the people of Israel and seemingly changed the mind of God. He didn't destroy all of them. And then uh, a little bit later on, Abraham prayed. So before that, excuse me, Abraham prayed and asked God to spare a king named Abimelech. God was all slated to kill the guy. Abraham prays, and God did so. I, I was reading this morning, King Hezekiah was dying. Remember him? He was a king of Israel. And he prayed, and God added 15 years to his life. I mean, clear-cut miracles where God had a plan. God said, this is what I'm going to do. And because of prayer, God changed that. Now, those are all documented, and then probably all of us have our own stories that we could say, well, this is what God did when I prayed. And that's great. But in the Bible, we know there's, there's no uh, flexibility. It's, it's truth. But case after case, we see that God moved. God did great things through prayer. So what James is saying here is that God may have a plan that he's gonna, about to do, and that plan could be altered possibly based on the prayers of his children. And I believe that we see that. What seems to be happening, a natural course of someone's life or of illness or of a circumstance, it just seems like it's going to happen. And we pray and it doesn't happen. It changes because God alters his plans. And I was thinking about this and, uh, and how sometimes we can be adamant and change our plans. You know, some of us as dads can make some really bold statements about what we're not going to do. How about dads, you ever say, we are not getting a dog? 
for not getting a dog. And your kids come up and say, Dad, can we please have a dog? And you go home with the dog, right? We're, we're kind of like that. We listen to our kids. We can be convinced through our kids. I think that God cares about the prayers of his children. God has a plan. God listens to us. And you know, we will never fully know the mind of God, but if we're walking with God, then we should feel free to let our requests be known to him. Listen to what it says in Philippians chapter six. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So Paul's talking about prayer here, about letting your requests be known to God. And he uses three words here to describe our communication with God. He says, first of all, in everything by prayer. Prayer is kind of the broad word of spiritual uh, devotion, including different kinds of prayer. So it's a communication with God. We're communicating with God. But then he gets more specific. He talks about our petitions. Petitions are the narrow word that he uses here to focus down on the kind of prayer that we're talking about, namely asking God for help. We're petitioning God. We're asking God, God, will you please do this, our petition to God. And then he goes on and he talks about another kind of prayer, and that's a prayer with thanksgiving. And thanksgiving is this humble, non-demanding mindset that kind of flavors our prayers. When we pray, we ought to be thankful. We ought to be thankful for what we got, what we've already been given, but we also, we ought to thank God in advance for his provision, his wisdom, the way he's going to answer this prayer. Making requests, thankfully, means that we're going to be content We're going to be thankful to God, whatever he wisely and lovingly gives us. We're doing it with thanksgiving. So we can ask, but we ought to be thankful and acknowledging and content with what we have. And and praying in that way, knowing, gives us knowledge and confidence that he's going to hear our prayer and he's going to give us what is best for us, what his will is. You know, a few weeks ago, we talked about the Holy Spirit's part in helping us grow spiritually in our series called After I Believe, we talked about the Holy Spirit being with us and maturing us and growing us in our faith. Well, I want you to know the Holy Spirit also has a hand in our prayer life. The Bible teaches us that the Holy Spirit redirects the worst of our prayers and he empowers the best of our prayers. I love that statement. He redirects the worst of our prayers. He's like, they don't know what they're talking about. You know, this is what was best. Just just listen to this, all right? Sometimes our hearts may be right. I mean, we really, we're, we're focusing on what we think is right, but our prayers are off the mark. Or maybe sometimes we don't even know what we should pray for or how we should pray. And this is when the Holy Spirit steps in and helps us specifically. Uh, in Romans chapter 8, it says this in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but for the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our heart knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Do you see how that ties in the will of God, being, uh, uh, letting the Spirit lead us to discover God's will in our prayer life? So he helps us in our weakness, not only when we're struggling, but also in our humanness, when we're way off mark, we're praying for the wrong things. We don't know what's best, what we ought to be praying, asking God for, what his will is. We don't know what would best make the kingdom come here upon the earth. So the Holy Spirit, who knows our heart and our minds and our motives, and more importantly, the mind of God, the connection we have with the Father, he comes to our aid and it intercedes for us. 
And you know the word intercede means to make an appeal to someone on another person's behalf. So to know that we have God's Holy Spirit that is interceding on our behalf with the Father and sharing our heart's desires and what we're longing for. So by His divine power, the Holy Spirit looks at the deepest level of of our heart and He gives content to our unspoken and uncertain prayers sometimes. And He brings these prayers and lays them out before the Father's throne. Paul uses the word groans here, I think, because the Spirit conveys to the Father not only our thoughts, but also the deep feelings associated with them. The Spirit knows our heart, the groaning that we have there. Here's what's amazing uh, in the same chapter, just a few verses later, Romans chapter 8, verse 34, Paul says, Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. This is, this is interesting. It's getting even better, right? So we have two divine intercessors between us and our Heavenly Father. We have Jesus, who is interceding for us in heaven at God's right hand. This is my child interceding for us. And then we have the Holy Spirit interceding for us from within our hearts, where He lives within us. Jesus' unique role is to kind of stand between us and the Father's wrath, the only one who secures our justification. And the Spirit's intercession for us is for our sanctification, to make us holy, to bring us into alignment with God's will. Here specifically doing so in our prayer life. I mean, doesn't that show the Father's love for us by saying, wow, I'm going to help you, not with one, but with two divine and powerful forces to help you in your prayer life and your spiritual growth to become more like Jesus. I mean, we can't go on without reading the next verse, because this is one of my favorite verses, Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. So in our prayer life, seeking the Holy Spirit's intercession, Jesus' intercession, seeking God's will, we know that God is then preparing and providing the very best for us if we're called according to His purpose. You know, I think sometimes that we're a little bit afraid to pray freely because we think that we don't want to get in too deep. You know, we, we think that God may do something that we're not comfortable with, that God might pull us into something that we're not equipped for or we're not willing to sacrifice for in some way, take us out of our comfort zone. And God may do that, to be honest with you. And I never really thought about this, but prayer can be kind of dangerous, it can be kind of a dangerous thing in some ways. I don't mean dangerous like skydiving or like logging, which I think is the most dangerous job in the world. But prayer can be dangerous. It can be dangerous in a couple of ways. Someone said, here's the top eight dangerous prayers. Dangerous prayers. Be cautious to pray these. Number one, God, teach me humility. And that's a dangerous prayer, you know, because the only way to learn humility is to be placed in humbling situation. So if you pray for humility, you better be ready to be humbled, all right? Second dangerous prayer, teach me patience. Teach me patience. God teaches us patience by taking us through trying times. Dangerous. Number three, lead me wherever you want me to go. We assume that God's going to give us a place of honor and glory. It's going to be a great place. But remember that Jesus sought God's will and his path led him to mockery, persecution, ultimately death. Cautious about that prayer. Number four, help me understand the plight of the poor. How can you understand the plight of the poor unless you become poor yourself? That's a dangerous prayer to pray, all right? Number five, make me more like Jesus. 
When you pray to be made like Jesus, God will begin to break down, burn away, and trim off everything and anything in your life that doesn't look like Jesus. So that's a dangerous prayer. Number six, give me more faith. There is no way to get more faith than for your faith to be tested. Number seven, give me victory over sin and temptation. How do you think victory comes except through ever-increasing cycles of temptation? And number eight, please help my neighbor, my coworker, or friend come to know Christ. And when you pray that, God's probably going to use you to reach them. So there are some dangerous prayers that we can pray. Prayer can be dangerous, but it can be so rewarding. Uh, just because it's dangerous doesn't mean we shouldn't pray these prayers. And in fact, if we don't pray these dangerous prayers, then we're going to miss out on some of the greatest blessings that God could ever give us and what God wants for our life. Jesus said this, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. See, we were never promised that he was going to invite us into this comfortable, easy life, but instead, like himself, a life of surrender and sacrifice. So our greatest desire should not be for our will to be done, but for God's will to be done. And we ought to think about that in our prayer life. And Jesus is, is inviting us to come and die to ourselves so that we can live moment by moment, day by day for him. So I want to challenge you as, as we kind of kick off and we kind of cast this vision for what we believe God's called us to do for our community, for our city, um, that I want to challenge you to start praying some dangerous prayers and see what God will do. I think God will amaze you by what he does. I really do. And uh, so I want to challenge you on that. We uh, pass these cards or put them in your seat. Pray for Woodford. This can be the first step. And uh, what, what we're asking you to do is to fill out this card, turn it in. You can put it in one of the boxes out there uh, where, where we put our offering each, each Sunday. And uh, really, really simple. We're not asking for a lot of information, just your name and your email so we can communicate. That's how we will communicate with you. And there's a couple things we're asking you to do. Maybe to be willing uh, to pray for people. When the, when the prayer need comes in, but secondly, willing to walk and deliver the, uh, the little hangers on the door to be able to let people know that they've been prayed for. And we'll give you more information as we do this. Next week, we'll talk even more about it. And uh, uh, you might put on your calendars April 16th. That's a Saturday morning, and that's when we're going to kind of do a blitz and kind of roll, uh, roll this thing out and get started. But we'll, let, we'll give you more information, but this is kind of an initial commitment to say, I'm willing to be a part of this. I want to pray for Woodford, pray for my community, and ask that God would use me in one of these, uh, in one of these ways or in many ways. And I believe that God's going to honor that. I really do. I think that God's going to honor what we're doing, and I think that we're going to see God is, be glorified. I think we're going to see people be encouraged and blessed and, and healed, and the stories are going to be amazing that we'll be able to share what God does for us being willing to pray for our community. You know, I do believe uh, that God does great things and ushers in revival through prayer. Personal revival, when we, when we pray, when the church prays, when communities praise, we're going to talk next week about the power of prayer, what God has done in the past, and what God will do, not just in people's lives like George Mueller, uh, but in whole um, nations that God can move a nation to revival. And uh, that's my heart that God would do that, would bring that to our church, and it would begin right here. So we're going to wrap up this morning. And uh, if you're here and you have not tapped into this amazing power of prayer, and, and you know the Lord, but you've never made a commitment to Jesus, 
uh, we want to invite you to just step forward. And uh, I'll be up here, and Zach, I'll ask you and Tony to maybe to step up. And there'll be a people up here to talk to. If you want to pray, maybe, maybe this is exciting to you. Maybe this is what you feel like your purpose is. Then maybe God's calling you to prayer. Uh, we would love to have you just come forward and, and make this front a place of prayer. We've got some kneelers over here, uh, but we want this to be a time and a place where you just seek the will of God. So I'm going to ask if you would to stand with me. We're going to close in a moment of prayer, and then during this song, if you want to come up and pray for what God's going to do, we invite you to come. Lord, thank you for this morning. God, we are so grateful for prayer. Uh, what would we do without prayer? How would we communicate our heart to you? God, how would we seek your kingdom? How would we ask you to bless us and bless the people and change our world without prayer? Uh, God, help us to understand that. And Lord, commit us to a, a deeper prayer life, a life of seeking you, of seeking your will, that your kingdom might come. Father, not only your will to come in our life, but in this world. And Lord, we know that there's so much need for that. God, I pray this morning that as we come now to worship you, that uh, we would incorporate prayer into that and honoring you through our, through our prayers, through our, uh, our willingness to step up and pray, praying for one another, God praying and, and just giving you all the praise and the glory. I ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen.